broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chattanooga, Tennessee, it's time for Chattanooga Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Good morning and welcome to Business Radio X here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I am joined in the studio today with Jennifer Harper. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Jennifer, we're going to be talking about a couple of things here. First of all, you're the founder and director of Bridge Financial Planning. That's a fee-only financial planning and investing for today's professionals, correct? That's right. Uh, so you began financial service work in 2000. That's right. And I believe that out of this, you've had a little bit of an awareness of financial planning in general. And so did that lead you to then be the founding director of Common Sense Financial Literacy? It did. One led right into the other. That makes sense. And for those of you who don't know, Common Sense is a nonprofit organization. It was founded in 2005. This, the mission of Common Sense is to promote and encourage financial education, focusing on ages 16 to 22, which is a very important age, and we'll get to that here in just a minute. They have worked with a lot of community organizations and schools to teach basic personal financial principles that are applicable to everyone, and I think that's something that is sorely lacking. I have a 12 and a 14-year-old, and I can tell you from personal experience, I've seen the sort of vacuum of information that's missing in, in education today for financial literacy, right? So let's, let's take a step back and talk about, first of all, what is financial planning? Financial planning is much more comprehensive than most people realize. I think the immediate thing that comes to mind when people hear financial planning is investing because investment management is probably the thing that gets the most attention. It's something that's uh, fun and exciting to talk about, but um, true financial planning is going to be a lot broader than that. It's going to encompass everything from estate planning to making sure you're making the most of your employee benefits to insurance planning, education funding if you have kids. If you're a business owner, all of those things are multiplied because you have even additional maybe insurance needs or um, any number of things, anything that can impact you or your families or your business's uh, financial well-being. Because it's not really just enough anymore to have a retirement plan, right? You know, a lot of people we grew up thinking that, well, you know, if I've got a 401k and I've got maybe $1,000 in savings that I'm okay, you know, and, and then they get to be 65, 70 years old, maybe they're still working at that point and they go, that wasn't necessarily enough, right? There are a lot of different variables and scenarios that you have to think about in the future. Absolutely. There are a lot of variables. <laughs> well, so what are some pr practical steps to financial well-being in, in regards to that, since most of us are probably not planning enough? Well, I think the very first thing you've got to think about is um, I, I'll, I can't remember who did the study that was in the news a lot a couple weeks ago talking about the average American family couldn't come up with a few hundred dollars if an emergency happened. So emergency fund is the number one thing. Um, you don't want to derail your, your financial life over something that comes up out of the blue. So even if it's starting small, um, just taking the action, building that habit to create an emergency fund over time is going to make you more resilient when those things do happen, because they do. Um, so when they do happen, it doesn't throw you off track. And then from there, you have a more solid base to build from and take care of a lot of the other financial planning needs that a typical family might have. You know, I think I remember that. And I remember an article that someone was talking about how, you know, they didn't have a lot of money just in reserve, you know, the, and they, they spent paycheck to paycheck. And it certainly seems like no matter how much we make up to a certain point anyway, people do live paycheck. It, it, it's sort of like uh, when we used to talk about in, in the computer world, 
let's say you've got a hundred megabyte hard drive where well, you're going to fill that up. Even if you had a hundred gigabyte hard drive, you're probably going to fill that mm -hmm. up. Right. So if you make 30,000, 50,000, 70,000 a year, you're probably going to spend all of that. And you might not be thinking about this financial planning aspect. So what I, I believe in the article, he said, you know, I live sort of hand to mouth and yet I make a good salary. And more importantly, I rely on credit to sort of be my emergency backup. I, what is your position on credit in terms of overall financial health? Well, this might be controversial to those who have, have heard some of the other um, traditional financial um, speakers. Um, but but I, I talk uh, with common sense. I talk to young people about the wise use of debt. Are you creating a future opportunity with that debt or are you creating a future problem with that debt? And the way I think about that is um, student loan would be a great example of that. Is it absolutely terrible in all circumstances to have a student loan? Well, no, because there's a direct correlation between your future earnings ability and your education level. So if you need a small, modest loan to get that education to create that future wealth and future income stream, that's a wise use of debt. Now, what I see happen a lot of times is, you know, when the pizza and the beer and the <laughs> and the living expenses and, um, you know, somebody's going into debt two or three hundred thousand dollars at, you know, for a career that's not going to pay a, a high top dollar, that's creating a future problem, not a future opportunity. So I, I use kind of wide. Um, examples, you know, maybe the extreme right end or left end of, of a, an example to show those things. But I think people understand it. Um, you know, you need a car to get to work. Does it mean you need the newest, fanciest, shiniest car, you know, right off the bat? Or can you do something more modest today to get you where you want to be to where you can build up from there? You know, it's, it's very easy to increase your lifestyle. It's much harder to back off. And so if you ramp up slowly, you're giving yourself more time to grow in to your future financial plan. If you ramp it up too fast, it's very hard to unwind. So using debt wisely is important. I think, you know, absolutely forbidden is, um, you know, things like, you know, if you don't have the money to pay off a credit card at the end of the month, don't use it. Those interest rates are so high. And, you know, I, with the teens, again, like in common sense, the example I, I give is if you take your date out to dinner and a movie or you go to the mall and you buy a new pair of shoes or whatever it is you do, you get to the end of the month and that bill comes in. If you don't have the money to pay for it, can, do you have anything of value that you could take back to get that value back? And in that case, you don't, you don't have anything of value that would, so that's the kind of thing that. It's very simple, but it's very effective examples to share with people to say, here's a good use of debt. You're creating that future income stream or that future opportunity or that ability to get to work with your car. Um, but if you don't have anything to show for it at the end of the day, it's it's no reason at all to get into debt. I think the classic example that I was always told was if you're taking a, if you're taking out a loan to go on vacation you should probably downsize your vacation. Absolutely. Yeah. My, I, I have the advantage in that my father at 63 years old is becoming a certified financial planner Awesome. and all his life, you know, he's, he's been able to give me some really solid financial advice. I wish I'd taken a lot of it, <laughs> but I think that's the problem with a lot of people, right? Is that we don't, you know, we don't necessarily take that. So speaking of which, 
what are some of the underserved marketplaces in, for financial planning? The number one that target market that I see that is not being served well by the traditional financial services marketplace is business owners. In that case, I think there are a lot of cases where a business owner puts a lot of time, energy, blood, sweat, tears, money into their business and they grow it and they, they, are, they are good operators. They know how to run their business. They know their business better than anyone else. And if you look at their net worth statement, they've built a nice net worth because they've put all of that into their business. But if you think about their investable assets, that may or may not be there quite yet. Their net worth might be tied up quite a bit in their business. But oftentimes they have a lot more planning needs than the typical family that might have two salaries from two corporate jobs. Um, you know, there's a lot more going on in that business owner's financial world. And the unfortunate reality is a lot of financial services providers are um, very focused on generating the revenue from investment management. And I do that as well. Um, as a family planner, I still invest um, my clients' assets, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But I've broadened the scope to say, well, if, if somebody doesn't have those investable assets, they still need to be able to access professional financial planning advice, maybe on an hourly basis or a monthly retainer basis, that will still allow them to address the needs they have and not make it all about the investment management. I see. And is some of that sort of hedging against the future because, you know, your business might have a downturn or is this just sort of the, the sort of future planning that really any business should be doing? I think this is any, uh, this is planning any business should be doing. Um, it could be, you know, I, I can tell horror stories about um, a partnership agreement that was drafted 30 years ago and there were, it was um, a group of men that, um, each put in $100,000 into a real estate company and they wanted to build a rental real estate empire. And they started it, I think, back in the 70s or 80s. And a few years ago, sat down and looked at their partnership agreement and it said each of them could buy each other out for the original $100,000 that they had put in. Well, 20 or 30 years later, the worth of that business was far greater than that. And I was like, gee, I'm glad you aren't knocking each other over to, right. <laughs> to buy each other out for 100000 So even if it's something simple like reviewing existing planning documents, ex um, review um, existing estate planning documents, um, review insurance coverage, reviewing beneficiary designations, reviewing you know, what your succession plan is in your business. Um, do you want your managers to be able to buy you out? Are you looking for somebody, you know, to come in within the industry and acquire you? All of these things have different implications for the owner. And these aren't things that have anything to do with investments necessarily. Um, even though investments are a key piece, I just, I'm, I keep bringing back, coming back to the idea that that's not the only thing out there that should be covered with a true financial plan. Well, the only thing that's constant is change, right? So right. it's something you have to be aware of and keep track of over time. Right. Absolutely. Well, uh, so I want to talk a little bit too um, about common sense, but what was this about the recent Department of Labor fiduciary rule though, in, in terms of financial planning? There, that's been all over the news. And it's interesting because I think if you ask the 
average person on the street, they would be surprised that that wasn't already the standard. I think most people would assume that if you go to someone who calls themselves a financial advisor, that they're giving you the best advice possible for your situation. Unfortunately, until this DOL rule came about, that's not the case. Um, There were two standards. There was a suitability standard, which meant that someone could say that this advice is suitable to you, um, but not necessarily the, in the in your best interest. Mm-hmm. There's there might be a better option out there that they have access to, but maybe because of some kind of conflict of interest, it was okay for them to not disclose that and go ahead and go with the one that's just suitable to the client. And I think that if if people understood that, they would be surprised by that. What this Department of Labor rule does, starting not immediately. It's it's still down the road a little bit. Um, for retirement accounts, so 401ks, IRAs, um, those kind of retirement-specific accounts, it's going to hold all advisors to a fiduciary level, which means that you do what you feel is in your client's best interest, period, end of story. When I started my company, Bridge Financial Planning, I decided that's the route I wanted to go voluntarily anyway. That's what I feel like is the best way for clients to um, receive their advice anyway. I think that's that's what most people would assume they are getting. So I just went ahead and took that leap and did that on my own. So whether it's being the certified financial planner or choosing to become a member of NAPFA or choosing you know to to be that fiduciary level advisor, you know that's something I think that clients should be aware of. And when it comes to vetting financial planners, I mean, what are some of the things that clients should be looking for? Um, clients should be very comfortable asking any question they want. Um, you know, how do you get paid? Um, what are the conflicts of interest you might have? Um, you know, what's your experience in the industry? What's your, um, you know, what's what's your investment philosophy? What's your um, all of these things? You know, not everyone's going to be a great fit for everyone out there. There's there's 7 billion people on this planet. Not anybody's going to make all of them happy or have the same philosophy philosophy about things. And that's okay. Um, but I think it's important to interview, um, you know, interview your potential advisor. I think it's important as an advisor, you know, frankly, to interview the client, make sure that's going to be a good fit because honestly, you're, you're building a relationship that hopefully you're going to work together for years in the future and and it needs to be a good fit. So you need to feel confident um, asking questions and getting clear answers. So it's it needs to be a little bit more in depth than say like a Tinder date. You're not just gonna be swiping right to say this is the financial planner for me. You have to have a little bit of awareness because this is a very personal relationship, right? People and their money, it's a very close relationship and you wanna find someone who really is in tune with sort of what your goals are and what your needs are. That's right. Excellent. Well to that end and you know speaking of younger folks so talk a little bit about our community's financial profile overall well chattanooga is absolutely amazing i grew up here i've i've watched it come into its own and it's it's amazing it's great we have so much going for us um too much to list right um we have a lot of people in this community that are so giving i i think i heard um the center for nonprofits quote a a statistic that said we have 1,600 nonprofits in this area. Wow, far more um, per capita than the national average. 
um, we have a lot of people that are giving back and giving their time and their money and watching what has happened in Chattanooga from the philanthropy side of things is just so inspiring. On the other hand, so we, we, we have a lot of wealth, we have a lot of philanthropy. On the other hand, we, we have higher rates of poverty than the national average. The city of Chattanooga has higher, higher, higher poverty rates. Um, the state of Tennessee has the number one bankruptcy rate in the country. So if we're ignoring some of these things, then I don't think we're doing ourselves a, a good service. I think we're ignoring a very critical part of our community. I think um, when I think about financial education, I think if you want economic development, then you want financial education. Someone can't start a business if they've already spent their next paycheck. Um, I think about it in terms of family stability. Um, if you want family stability in our community, you want financial education. Um, the number one reason cited for divorce is financial stress. So if you want women's issues, you know, if you're, if you're, if women's issues are critical to you, um, women tend to live longer. We tend to make less. Um, we make more than 50% of the household purchasing decisions. So being financially savvy, getting that financial education will absolutely benefit women. And if you think about this from an ongoing standpoint, our community is only as strong as our next generation. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start something that was more preventive in nature. It's, it's fine and good and necessary to have crisis management situations for families in financial crisis. Unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever be in a position where that will completely go away. But I think to break the cycle, you have to get to the younger people to educate them, to help them avoid those big mistakes. Are they going to avoid every financial mistake? No. Is financial education the magic bullet to solve all the community's problems? No. But I do think it's a common thread that we can pay more attention to that affects more than we would like to admit. But as you mentioned earlier, finance is private. It's not something we talk about to our friends. It's barely something we talk about with our own family. So how do you teach and talk about it in a way that's going to build people up and make people more confident and give them the opportunity to have those economic development opportunities, those um, family stability, you know, how, how are you going to do that? And, and from my perspective, I think you've got to start with the younger people and be preventive. Well, you know, that reminds me a little bit of, I, I spoke to a nutritionist some weeks ago and she was telling me that oftentimes she sees people when they've been diagnosed with diabetes, when they've been diagnosed with something that is no longer avoidable, they have that urgent need now for a nutritionist. Whereas that's really something that should be taken care of through your entire life. And, and our nutrition education, of course, could be better. Our financial education could be better. So how do you give that sense of urgency to young people when, you know, by and large, they see the future as this really, I mean, fuzzy thing. And it's, it's yeah, it's, it's long in the distance. Like I'm not, when you're 22, you're not thinking about what's going to happen when I'm 65, 70 years old, right? I mean, maybe a lot of 22 year olds don't think they'll live that long. But how do you give them that sense of urgency so they tar start taking it really seriously initially? You know, I can see a big change in the questions I get from students even in the last 10 years. I think a lot of 
I hate these labels, but I'll use it because everybody knows it. But millennials these days, they're actually saving at a higher rate than a lot of the Gen Xers or the boomers did. Or, And it's interesting because think about how, what age they were at when we went through our last financial crisis. They watched their families struggle with mortgage payments. They watched their families lose jobs. They watched. And so, you know, I think back to, um, you know, maybe my grandparents who lived as small children through the Great Depression. That generation were great savers because they knew what it was like to have that crisis situation. And I, I see that to a smaller extent now with the young people we're talking to. You know, just two weeks ago, a young lady that went through the Common Sense program at the Chattanooga State Collegiate High last spring texted me and said, can I come by your office? I want to... Um, make sure that I don't have to work my first semester in college. I got a partial scholarship. I want to build a budget for this summer to help me avoid having to work in my first, because I really want to focus on my academics. I really want to focus. I'm sitting here thinking she thought of this like a year later and she's, you know, she's 17 years old and she's wanting to come and build a budget. Like, oh my gosh, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, so I think, I think we're seeing, the impact and the effects of them watching their families struggle with that. So not that any of that was a positive thing at all, but if any, if we can see the silver lining to the cloud, it's that maybe, maybe people will start taking more, pay, pay more attention to those issues earlier on. That is, that is a really good optimistic uh, idea. And the fact that you've been seeing that, that's wonderful. So why is financial, I mean, we talked a little bit about financial education sort of being critical to the, you know, an individual and to a community. And it seems like that has a broader impact on the national economy as well, right? So if people are in less debt, if they have saved more, I mean, we, we, sort, of be a, we sort of seem to be at a kind of crunch point right now in the economy where we have a lot of debt. And that's my generation, that's my parents' generation mm -hmm. has a lot of debt. So are you seeing younger folks uh, accrue less debt? I mean, besides student debt, of course, which is a whole, yeah. a whole thing. But what about, you know, cars, homes, that kind of thing? I'm not seeing, I know the millennials that I've worked with, you know, buy cars that are brand new, mm -hmm. you know, finance mortgages, those sorts of things don't seem to be at the top priority anymore. Well, there's no one thing, right? This is, this is so multifaceted. There's, there, you can't point to one thing and say, this is the cause. I would say student loan debt is one reason why you don't see them taking on other debt because, you know, the debt bucket's full with student loan debt. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I do think that there's a, a generally speaking, a, a bigger awareness that, you know, you are going to be responsible for your own retirement. You are going to be responsible for, um, you know, I think back to my grandparents and both of my grandfathers were, were blue collar workers. One was a machinist, one was a pipe fitter. They never made a lot. They never spent a lot, but they both had pensions. Um, you know, looking at my parents' generation, they were probably the first generation to start having 401ks. Um, but how much do you save in a 401k to m get to the point where you're going to have a stable retirement? You know, that's this just giant black hole nebulous idea. It's right. a question everybody has, but nobody has answers to, right? So, you know, your, your employer doesn't tell you because they can't, because they, 
you know, they would have liability if they told you that. So they don't tell you. So where do you get that advice? And I think that's been a missing piece. I, as far as the economy, it's it's a it's a tricky balance because on one hand, um, consumer spending is, you know, one of the top drivers for economic growth. Mm-hmm. So if everybody in the whole entire world just stopped spending money and started saving money, you know, is that going to be a great thing for the economy? Um, you know, so there's all these philosophical arguments back and forth about, you know, right. what do you do? But but the, I think that the thing we can't get away from is the basics. The basics is, are, you know, start a habit, start it small, be consistent, grow it as your income grows, grow your savings. Don't go into debt for things that are going to create a future problem. Take control of your money. Don't let your money control you. Um, I, I think that that's the biggest problem I see a lot of times. People think they don't have a choice in how they spend or how they save, and they do. Well, I can I can say that, you know, I have two kids, like I said, and in their case, I remember, I believe it was third or fourth grade, they were taught to how to write a check, which I think is fairly simple, but they were never taught to balance the checkbook, which is basic arithmetic, but extremely important. So I always thought that kind of creates this disconnect in their head, like this is just write a check for a million dollars and go and it turns in magically into cash. But they have to understand that there's a consequence to that, that this isn't just free money, that that there's a a reconciliation literally that happens. So if there was one thing that if you had a magic wand that you could change about the way that financial health is taught in our schools, what would that, what what would you change about that? Wow. Um, I don't know if I can put it into one thing, but I'll try. Um, so if you think about a business, businesses' financial statements, what do they have? They have two. They have the balance sheet and they have an income statement. What do we talk about when we talk about personal finances? The only thing we ever talk about is a budget. Well, a budget is an income statement. You have income and then you subtract expenses out and hopefully you have something left over at the end, right? That's the idea. We don't ever talk about a personal balance sheet which is a net worth statement. So put your assets, subtract your liabilities, and you should be looking at your your net worth. And the whole goal at the end of the day is not to just grow your net worth indiscriminately for no good reason. Um, It's to grow your net worth according to where your goals and dreams and life, where you want to take it. So, you know, spend with a purpose, save with a purpose, give with a purpose. You know, none of us got here on our own. So give back, you know, put that into your plan. So I think if it's one thing, it's start looking at personal finances more like a business looks at it. And that includes income, expenses, assets, and liabilities. And unfortunately, when we talk about personal finance, the thing that gets the most attention is cut expenses, cut expenses, cut expenses. Well, you can only cut expenses so much. What can what else can you do? If you're a business owner, if you get to the end of the day and you've cut your expenses back as far as you can, what do you do? You have the option somehow or another, you've got to find a way to grow your revenue. So from a personal standpoint, how do you grow your income? And I talked to the young people in Common Sense about what's their biggest financial asset today. A lot of them will say their cell phone. <laughs> um, I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, you're probably right in the truest sense of it. But really, the biggest financial asset they have is their future earnings power. 
their future income stream. And that's directly related to their education, their skills, and their experience. And so if you can start getting people to realize that the other side of the budget from expenses is income, and what can you do to increase your income? What can you do to increase your future income stream? Then you have the, you're growing the pie. You're, you're building future worth. And when you start tying that into your net worth statement and growing your bottom line and having that bottom line represent things that you care very much about, then that's the holy grail. That's right. That's right. And that, that plants seeds for business growth as well and folks to have business savvy and to be financially savvy when it comes to running a business as well, right? right? That's excellent. All right. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show today. Just to wrap up, is there anything else that you would tell people to start planning ahead, right? Start planning mm -hmm. ahead. Um, Common Sense Financial Literacy is um, is a 501c3 organization. We do accept donations. Um, uh, we would love to have community support around financial education. Um, we have a donation button on our website, which is ccfli, like Common Sense Financial Literacy, Inc.org, ccfli.org. And... Um, you know, this is this is something I'm very passionate about. Thanks for the time. Absolutely. And where can people find you on Bridge Financial? Bridgefinancialplanning.com is the website. Um, and we'd love to see. Excellent. All right, Jennifer Harper, thank you so much. This is Victor Greta with Business Radio X here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thanks for listening. 